Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 70 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have with me a survivor. Her name is Julie. And she is going to be sharing, I'm going to be asking her some questions and she's going to be sharing her story with you. And I, we have prayed right before this podcast that you would be blessed and that God would use it to connect with you and to touch you in a special way. So first of all, Julie, welcome to the Flying Free Podcast. Thank you, Natalie. It's good to be with you today. Okay. So first of all, let's start by asking you, how did you meet your husband, and were there any red flags before you married him? Hmm, I thought a lot about this question. Uh, I met him 37 years ago in 1983. I was a single mom at the time, and I'm a veteran of the United States Navy, and I had been out for a couple of years, and I had missed the military. So I joined the California Army National Guard, and uh, my first assignment, um, I reported and he, my husband, was my um, instructor for a class I had to take. Um, you know, we didn't like each other at first. Um, I, thought, I thought he was um, arrogant, opinionated, loud. Um, but for, how, for some reason, he was able to break through that. And the months went by, and we started seeing each other, and we were married the following year in 1984. Interesting. Red flags. You know, now, yes. At the time, no. I, I didn't even know what a red flag was. I was in love and, um, you know, thought he was wonderful and caring and, and believed that my first impression was way off and wrong and, um, you know, didn't see anything in the beginning. Nothing. I, I, I we had known each other, um, gosh, 14 or 15 months before we got married. So uh, we didn't see a lot of each other at first, just on weekends or during the summer when we were in the, the guard together. But um, as, as we grew closer, I, I didn't see anything wrong. Now I look back and of course I can see red flags. So, but not at the time. Well, can you give us a couple of examples of what, when you look back, what you saw that, okay. that you wish you would have <laughs> kind of recognized? He was still married. Um, he had separated from his wife. But um, how he acted during that time, how he acted towards her and his two children should have, should have showed me that he had discarded them. And for the next 33 years, I would um, be the one to connect with his children and because he never did. Mm. Um, but so that's probably the biggest thing is how he was acting towards his still wife and his two children at the time. How old were they? They were, you know, and they grew to love me. Um, they were five and seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when after you got married, what were some of the ways that he began to emotionally or spiritually abuse you during you know, marriage? You know, he 
still is not. He never was and still is not, you know, a, a rager. Um, I believe he's got rage underneath the surface, but he wasn't a yeller. He didn't throw things. He didn't slam doors. Um, so, you know, when, when I would get ignored or when he would give me the silent treatment, it never occurred to me for decades that that, that was wrong on his part. Um, we, you know, got married in the church. He was an elder in the church. You know, he, we were church people. And he, I thought, always had a command of Scripture and the Bible. I, I believed he did. Um, now I know differently. But um, so emotionally, he would just give me the silent treatment. He would, one of the things he loved to do was he, pre, he, could, he would pretend that he couldn't, or he didn't hear me when I would talk to him. Um, he would walk, you know, walk by and I'd ask a question. He would just keep walking. Mm-hmm. Well, I look back now and that was, that was gaslighting. He was ignoring me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say, well, gosh, didn't you hear me? He goes, he goes well, what? You said something? What, what are you talking about? Um, that went on our, our whole marriage. Um, he would project his covert behaviors onto me. So he would accuse me of ignoring him. Well, you can ask anybody who knows me and loves me. I don't ignore anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm an empath. I love relationship. I will talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime. Um, so I would get so confused when he would accuse me of the things he was doing to me. I, I, I couldn't make sense of it. Spiritually, um, we started out in just a mainstream Presbyterian church. Um, I, right after we were married, I quit college. I quit my job. Um, when I married my husband, I had no desire to have any more children. I had my one daughter, and she was, a, you know, my biggest blessing. But I was career-oriented. I was going to go to school. I was going to have a career and, you know, kind of have it all. But then God just slowly changed my heart, and I wanted to have children and create a home life for them that I didn't have growing up. Um, and it was a true change of my heart because um, I, I, I quit school, I quit my job, I got pregnant, and I never looked back. So my husband didn't believe in birth control. He believed that God should plan our family. So I had seven babies in nine years. Um, I homeschooled them, uh, but I was happy. I, I loved my life. I, we lived in a little 900-square-foot home, um, and I had babies. Oh, it was, it was glorious, though. I loved it. it. My life was simple, full of babies and children and homeschooling, and that part of my life was, was, was awesome. Um, but then we went to another church. It was a patriarchal church. And this is kind of where, this is the, the period of my marriage where I, I, I saw cha- big changes in my husband's attitude towards me, towards our children. And I'm like, like your um, story, Natalie, um, he just really got entrenched in the patriarchal theology and uh, culture. And that is where he, I believe, he started using the Bible against me to keep me in control. 
So what did you, what were, what were some of the ways that you coped during that time? My kids, my kids, um, as they got older, we realized that they needed more room to spread their wings. So we were able to buy 10 acres in the country and we got animals. Now, mind you, he's working. And, you know, I look back and I, I tell people he went to work. I worked my ass off and we had the animals. We, I homeschooled, um, you know, by this time I have eight children. Our youngest son was born with down syndrome. So, and he had a, a, a sick heart when he was born. So he uh, almost died two times and then he got heart surgery. So I'm dealing with that. And, um, but, but, you know, I was exhausted, but how I coped was I would, you know, go out to my garden or I would go and feed my chickens and I would, you know, take my, my kids on field trips. And I, that's, I think, cause I, my whole life I've, I've had what I feel good coping um, skills. Mm-hmm. I have coped through a lot of things in my life and I don't ever remember ever like feeling depressed um, one time in my life. And that was after my, my youngest son was born, but I've always been able to kind of pick myself up by my bootstraps, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though all this time um, that I was raising my kids, I, I, sh- I was constantly shaking off the loneliness, constantly shaking off the self-doubt, the self-loathing. But I loved my home life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I loved cooking. I loved taking care of our animals, my kids. And I, I think that's how I coped was he would go to work. He, he is a um, retired firefighter. So he would be gone for three days at a time. And I look back and I, loved when he wasn't there because mm-hmm. I could, I could, you know, be myself. I can make decisions freely. Um, I could love on my children without him getting jealous. Um, so I think that is probably how I cope because I just poured myself into my children and my home. I think that's um, a lot of women will be able to relate to that. I feel like so many survivors, they're really, really actually very strong people and they, they do have good coping skills. They're very resilient. And they, cause when I, I feel the same way, when I look back on my life, I feel like I was happy most of the time. And yet there was this underlying, just like you said, this sense of devastation and sense of almost self-loathing because I just couldn't make my marriage work. Well, and when, you know, and, and everything I've read about that, Natalie, is it, the, the, the stress, um, on your body, this yeah. constant, you, I couldn't describe it now, you know, now I'm, I know so much, but I couldn't describe it to anybody. Mm-hmm. I would try to describe it to, to, uh, you know, a couple of close girlfriends. Um, and my oldest daughter who is not my husband's daughter, she is my closest, closest friend, supporter. And, and I, later on, you know, when, when, when I left my marriage and, and she felt free to be able to t- tell me how she felt about my husband, she, I was able to describe to her, you know, um, some of those, those feelings and those, those things that were always in, and she completely understood it. Mm-hmm. She completely being my daughter, but she was not, she is not his daughter, but she grew up, she grew up in that home. Yeah. And, 
I have eight children, and seven of them, of course, have have um, moved out. Um, my youngest son lives with me, and he will for the rest of my life. But they all said it took us leaving and then coming back to see how dysfunctional this home was. Yeah, and um, so they need that context. Yeah. You know, because yes. kids grow up and they think this is normal and then they go out and they get context for what they grew up in. And it's usually kind of a shock. It is. Um, you know, a couple of my kids were angry. You know, I've always been close to all my children. They're all adults. They all have partners. They're married, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever. And I, I've always maintained close relationships with all of my kids. But when when I left, when I, when I separated from my husband and then finally filed for a divorce, a couple of them, it's not that they didn't think that was the right thing to do, but I think that they need to be, they needed to process it because they kind of withdrew a little bit from me. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of them um, showed me that, you know, that they had some anger over it and that they felt like I, I should just, um, you know, just deal with it. Just, just ignore it. Just, you know, just stay, you know, why do you have to make a big deal out of everything? But mm -hmm. now I think because it's been a couple of years and the funny thing is about my husband, and I, I think this is probably true about a lot of men that are like this. We temper them. We temper them a yes. lot. And I think when I was out of the picture, it took a year or two, probably a year, 18 months, but because I'm out of the picture, I'm not there to temper him. They, he's kind of rising to the occasion. And they and many of our friends are going, wow, wow, you, we didn't think you were like this. And so I'm thankful for that. So mm -hmm. my kids have kind of all come back and um, adore me and um, honor me on Mother's Day and the holidays and everything else. And they love their father, but they see that... He is um, just not not a very nice man. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm so glad you have mm -hmm. your kids. There's so many yeah. women who just who lost their kids completely. Yes, yes, I understand. Okay, so how did you? What was the turning point for you when you went? You know what? I really think this relationship is actually abusive, and I don't know if I can do this anymore for the rest of my life. You know, I don't. I think it took me a long time to um, use the word abuse, but I, I, I did come to a point. You know, the reason my husband was able to use the Bible against me is because he knew how much I love Jesus mm -hmm. and how much I wanted to please God and to live to please God. And, and my husband always knew that about me. And so, when you know the whole for decades, you know, I never, I never, ever, ever entertained the thought of divorce. I, you just, I couldn't, you know, I would be sinning. And I, I remember, I think it was Shannon Thomas's book I was reading. I, I, I think, I don't remember, but anyway, something I read said that every woman will come to a point when they say, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I came to that point. Um, my husband was, um, not physically abused. Well, he, he physically abused all of my sons. Um, he didn't beat the crap out of them every day, but he was just a bully. And he would, in the, uh, under the guise of discipline, would, would kick them or hit them or whatever. Even with my youngest son with Down syndrome. 
and as as my I know I, pe people I've had people just be in disbelief about that but to understand a person like this it, yeah. it it's believable but so I had gotten to the point in my marriage where I, I said I can't do this anymore I was crying out to God going and I even said God you're probably gonna send me to hell I'm probably gonna go to hell but I, I can't stay married to this man so I was kind of entertaining those thoughts but then one day, I this was right before I, I left, um, I had gone out to the garage and I had left my son and my husband in the dining room and I forgot something, so I came right back in. Well, my husband didn't think I had come right back in and I witnessed him physically abuse my son. Mm -hmm. That was the moment, of course, I intervened. I told him to get out, you know, if you ever, and I, use some pretty colorful language. I said, if you ever, ever touch him again, I will, I will call the police and I will leave you and I, I will never, ever, ever come back. So that kind of smoothed over. He, he was never apologetic. He never said he was sorry to my son or to me or anything. But in that moment, I said to myself, I'm leaving. I said, and I prayed and I said, God, I have been married to this man for 33 years. I have been a stay-at-home mom. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to get me out of this. And it was, and he did. He did. He, I just had a peace come over me. From that point on, I made sure that my husband was never alone with my son again. And I just said, okay, Lord, what's the next thing? Do the next thing for me. And I did. I asked for a separation. We had 10 acres, and on this 10 acres, we had two homes. So I told him I needed him to move into the guest house. Um, I needed a separation. I wanted it, and I'm going to have it. He resisted. And finally, he moved into the other house. But that didn't work because he could still keep tabs on me. And he would text me and ask me where I was going when I pulled out of the driveway to go to my Bible study or whatever. So that was in February. So in May, I finally just said I need to get my own apartment. So I did. I found an apartment. I took half of what was in our checking account, and I never looked back. So that was – so I'm, I'm, I was lucky, I think, because from the time I decided to leave to when I did was a relatively short period of time. From the time I realized this, I have to, I can't do this. I have to get my son out of here. Was only like five months. So, so okay. So one of the thing, one of the reasons why a lot of women like they don't do it quite that quickly, because and I think it's because well, I know because I was one who took forever, but it's because I was so scared of all of the insurmountable obstacles. They just terrified me, and I just wasn't. I really wasn't sure that I could you know, jump those hurdles without like dying. Like my amygdala was going, you're going to die. You're going to die. Yes, you're going to die. Yes, so, yes. and I, and so how did you like, tell us how life did get harder for you and then how you were able to jump those hurdles just to give women some ideas of, yeah, it's going to be really hard and there are going to be some really big hurdles, but here's how, here's some ideas yeah. or here's ways that I you know. I, I was scared to death. I mean, I haven't worked in over 30 years. I have yeah. no, no skill. I'm 63 years old. I was 61 when I left and I have a disabled adult son. Uh, it, it, 
But you know what I did, Natalie? I had to compartmentalize. I, if I looked at the whole thing, what, you know, you know how, how are we going to live? Where are we going to live? How long will it be like? I, I, there's no way it would have it paralyzed me. Yes. So what I, I just, doing, can I just jump in here? Because I think what you said is so, that's huge that you compartmentalized. That's exactly what I did. I wouldn't have put it that way though. So I'm glad you said that, but that's exactly what you have to do. You almost have to stick everything into these little boxes and yes. then just tackle one box at a time. Yes. And that's what I did. And looking back, I didn't realize I was doing that at the time, but again, I, I believe I've had good coping skills my whole life. I haven't been a Christian my whole life, but I've had, I've been abused by my mother and by teachers and classmates and, um, and other people. And I, I just learned how to kind of separate everything. And so that's what I did. I just kind of, I talked to my older daughter a lot. She was extremely supportive. Um, when I finally did file for divorce, it was because he, my husband, my soon to be ex-husband finally just got sick of, of, you know, me being in the apartment because we were still sharing our bills. We were still paying our bills because I truly still had hope he could change. Um, but I guess he just got tired of me having my freedom and he uh, took all the money out of our accounts and left me without rent money. And now mind you, two of his children live in this apartment with me. One of my um, other daughters who uh, works but can't afford to live here in California on her own uh, but that didn't matter to him. So I ended up borrowing my rent money from my, my, my oldest daughter and her husband. Um, so, but that's what I did. I just said, okay, you know, and I, I guess what really kind of propelled me was just seeing him abuse my son. And he's, he was always abusive to him. He was just a bully. He was just emotionally abusive, verbally abusive. But then when I saw him physically, physically hurt my son, it was just like this little warrior girl that has always been inside of me because mm -hmm. I was in the military. I was a single mm -hmm. mother. I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm a badass. Yeah, but exactly. That had, been, that had been so pushed down. I truly believed Natalie for years that I couldn't do anything without him. And he, <laughs> he allowed me to believe that he wanted me to believe that. Yeah. That's the patriarchal culture. So, so I just, I just, it just came out. I just said, okay. And I prayed a lot. I'm a woman of incredible faith. You know, I'm, I'm lucky in that area too, where my faith never faltered. I, I mean, there were times that I felt Jesus was the only one in my corner and he was. And so, so I just knew, I knew in my heart I, that he was going to provide, he was going to take care I just had to take the next step. So I got the apartment. Whew, got that. I, um, you know, just started one step at a time and, you know, got my own checking account. Um, you know, I, I lost a lot during this time, but I gained my self-respect. I gained my, I gained that little warrior girl that's always been inside of me. And to watch her come out um, you know, when I was in the midst of it, I, I didn't feel brave. I didn't feel like, you know, I, I was overcoming. But I look back over the last two years, and I don't recognize myself, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I recognized myself from a long time ago, but 
this warrior girl, she's in there for all of you women. She's in there. Yes. Tap into that. She's there. Yes. But you have had someone tell you for years that that you need to squash that. That's sinful. That's wrong. And um, when I let her come out, she kicked butt. She is kicking butt. She is. I love it. I love it. So where are things at today with your life? And when you look back, do you have anything that you would have done differently? Do you have any regrets? Um, You know, good questions. Uh, Where I am now, I'm, we sold our home. You know, we were there 22 years. Well, you know, we owned it for 22 years. I moved out two years ago, but we owned 10 acres and we made a lot of money on it. But because my husband won't agree to a settlement, that money is tied up in escrow. Um, I filed for divorce uh, almost two years ago, 18 months ago, and he's just fighting. It's not like we have all these assets. Um, but being true to form of who he is, he has to punish me. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, is, is throughout our whole marriage, I watched him do this to other people. I watched him do it to his parents uh, his, his, you know, bosses, his coworkers, people in the church. So I, I shouldn't be shocked that he's doing this to me. And so I have a great attorney. I love her. She goes to bat for me. And it's not like I have someone waiting in the wings that I want to marry. So, you know, it, it, it's not that, um, I just would like to have this final divorce. And so, um, I, my life is good. My son and I um, are healthy. Um, regrets. I just regret my kids. You know, they grew up in such a dysfunctional home, an, an emotionally abusive home, physically abusive for my sons. Um, three of them don't even walk with the Lord, I believe, because of that now. Um, and, you know, the bad things that happened to me, I lost um, my church community. You know, I went from one one church, one extreme, the patriarchal church, where they have all those belief systems, to a pretty mainstream church, uh, a big one here in my area. And um, but I, the the church, I think, sentimentalizes marriage. They romanticize marriage, and they put it up on a pedestal. And so, if there's any kind of divorce or a separation is it progressive as my church likes to think they are they're not and so because my husband and I were pillars of the church we were givers you know tithers involved in ministry involved in volunteering and boom I leave I I leave my husband with no apologies and my church turned on me so I lost a, a lot of who I thought were friends um, who sided with him because my husband can cry at the drop of a hat and look like a pathetic poor victim whose shrew of a wife has left him Mm -hmm. and he used that to his advantage Mm -hmm. and so I, I believe I lost my reputation I lost my church family I lost a lot of friends but I tell you what, when you come out the other side and the friends who stuck with you, the, the friendships are so much richer now. And I have a small group who 
funny. Um, my husband and I were the small group leaders of this group of people. And when I separated, I told him, I said, I don't believe we should be leading this group. We're, we're separated. And he, that made him angry. Um, so I stopped going to the group. Um, and he continued to go, even though he wasn't leading it. It took them about three months. Again, I was not there to temper him. So it took them about three months. They were going to ask him to leave the group. And they had, and I went back and I have been with them ever since. Wow. And they told me, they said, we were about to ask him to leave. Um, and we see, we see now because he just allowed himself to be who he is. And, you, you know, we see how he abused you because he abused us during small group, during yeah. our Bible studies. So... So my, That's my awesome. You two were vindicated that. a little bit there. That's really oh, absolutely. Really great. And, you yeah. know, and as time goes by, I you know I get little. You know, God throws me a bone and will <laughs> will show me something where, you know, you know, tr- His truth is always revealed. I, I believe truth will always be revealed. Yeah. Sooner or later, and although I I still can't walk in my main church, I just go to a different campus now, but I. I if I ever have to go to the main one, I, I still get people like looking at me and like, Oh yeah, that's right. She's the one that left her husband. I mean, you know, the look Nellie. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You don't need to be able to read their minds. Their yeah. body English says it all. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah. and yeah, yeah. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to say too, cause I, I, there's probably some women who are thinking, Oh my gosh, it's taken almost two years. And, I think a lot of women going into divorce think that the process is going to be like, you know, it's going to take a couple months and then they're going to be done. Yeah. And people need to understand yes. that when you are divorcing a true abuser, it's yes. all, it's going to take, you know, I mean, a minimum of a year, like that would be a fast divorce. Well, you know, and I agree with you on that because when I, I was a part of flying free, when I, when I left my husband, I had discovered, you know, we have a mutual friend, Carmen, and, uh, she, I reached out to her. I just said, you know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go, but I, I kind of saw Carmen's social media and knew something was going on in her life. So I reached out to her. She told me about you. I found books, I found blogs and, uh, and, uh, support groups on social media. And I was reading everybody's stories. And I, I remember thinking, Natalie, in the very beginning, Oh Yeah. That's, I'm really sorry that that's taking so long, but that won't be the case for me. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. he'll co- I'm sure he'll cooperate. <laughs> I know, I know he he would never do that. He did it all. He yes. did it all. And yes. So I, I have to be careful, though, because I don't want to be like this negative Nelly and tell women, oh, yeah, well, I just don't, because I'm, I'm, I'm talking with a friend now who's just starting. Um, I've known her for years, decades. She lives in Colorado, and... And she's kind of there, you know, she, and I, so I have to find the balance between not telling her, you know, you know, no way, no way is it going to be a couple of months, but then not, you know, so there is, there is a balance. Um, I agree with you. I think we all start out or many of us start out thinking, oh, this will be cut and dry. You know, he'll give me the divorce I want and he'll move on with his life. Well, they don't have a life to move on to. Right. We do. We have so much ahead of us, but, but my husband has nothing. Yeah. He has nobody in his life. He's got no friends. 
his children don't reach out to him. Yeah. Um, he lives, he rents a room from a man in the church. So he rents a room in a house. Um, so he, this is all he has is to, to scheme against me, to make a book on me. And, right. you know, so hey, the other thing too, that I was going to bring out is, um, when you mentioned your kids, that one of your regrets is just that they had to grow up in that kind of environment. And three of them aren't even walking with the Lord right now. I just wanted to, I have the same, I can relate to so much of your story, Julie, but I want to say to people who are worried about that, or maybe they're also experiencing that that how I've come to terms with that is that first of all, there are very few families on planet earth all through history and even in, in, in any culture where they're, they're, they're super healthy, where the kids grow up with this unconditional love from their parents. Everybody's healthy. Everyone's doing great. Most families are dysfunctional because of, you know, because of our human nature, but, but also we we are given, and you said your family growing up was dysfunctional. Mine was also dysfunctional. At the time you think, oh, this is normal. But then you get out and you're like, wait a minute, that was really dysfunctional. But when you, but that's part of our story. Those things are the things, not that God says, hey, I'm going to put all of my beloved children in dysfunctional families and I'm going to train them how to be warriors for Christ. You know, that's how right. some people might interpret that. But I really just believe that the world is dysfunctional as it is. We all grow up in the dysfunction yep. and God uses that to shape us, to mature us, to bring yeah. us, to, to bring us to a place where we do, he uses all kinds of different things to reveal himself to us. Right. And we all need something different <laughs> and it's all part of our story. We That's all right. have a story that we're living, including our kids and our kids' story is their story. We just happened to be a small part of it. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith in destructive relationships called, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can read reviews and find out more about my book on amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. And new for 2020, I've created a companion workbook for Is It Me, also available on Amazon. This workbook is like 11 power-packed therapy sessions to help you process through the important material you'll be learning from my book. These books are recommended by counselors and therapists all over the United States. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first chapter of my book and the first chapter of my companion workbook for free when you hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those two resources are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. And now let's get back to our episode. One of the things that my, my husband, you know, always, always did. And I would say, just, just don't always bring in scripture. They're, they're not listening to you. Can't you just have a relationship with them? And, and he always felt like he had to control their spirit, you know, their spiritual life. And I enjoy relationship with these children of mine that don't walk with the Lord. I like them anyway. Mm-hmm. Whereas, Whereas my husband always had, it's conditional for him. You know, he's constantly trying to shove scripture down their throat. And it, I, I would just beg him, please, it, you know, 
and then he would think that, you know, there was something wrong with me because I wasn't wanting to constantly talk the Bible with my kids. But, but when they were younger, absolutely. But they're all adults. They're all right. free thinking, you know, yep. adults who can make their own choices. And I like my kids. Yep. I like them the way they are. And you're right. And you know what? Is, God likes your kids the way they are too. That's right. That's right. That's right. And my oldest daughter, I went to all my kids and, you know, you know, just all but one and, and just told them I was sorry for, for my part in their unhappiness growing up. And my oldest daughter said, you know, mama, everything that's ever happened to me in my life has made me who I am today. And everything you did for us kids, even if it was a wrong decision, you did it because you love us. She goes, and I understand that. I get that. Mm, and she goes, just give my sibling. Yeah. Give my siblings time and they will, they will get there. They just have to work through this stuff. And they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what is one thing that you learned through this whole process that you, if you could go back and tell your younger self, you would go back and give her a mess? What message? Don't ever let anybody tell you what you can or cannot do or what you are capable of doing. That's Amen. what I would tell my younger self because I spent decades doubting myself, not trusting myself, I would tell my younger self, you trust yourself. You make good decisions. You're smart. You are capable. Mm -hmm. And you do not have to have anybody tell you how to live, what to do, when to do it, how to do it. You're an adult. Yep. That's what I would tell my younger self. I love that. And what piece of advice would you give to a woman who's listening and thinking about possibly leaving for good? Again, I would, I would, you know, if you're a woman of faith, just know in your heart that he is going to take care of you. And if you are in an abusive marriage or relationship, he does not want you there. And so he will take care of you mm-hmm. and to trust yourself. I stopped trusting myself so long ago. I couldn't even, I couldn't even trust myself to decide, you know, I don't know you know, what conference to go to or whatever, because, Oh, I got to make sure it's okay with him. Um, so I would, I would just say, you know, you know, you know what you have to do and just trust that God is going to take care of you. And I think that's the hardest thing for us to do is to step out and just know, know in our hearts, we mouth it, we say it, but to know in our hearts that he's going to take care of us. Right. And he will. Right. Mm-hmm. So Julie, before we end, as long as I've got you on here, you are, you've been a member of Flying Free, the Flying Free Sisterhood for how many years? Almost two years. Okay. No, it was, t- it was two years this month. And now I'm part of your Flying Hire group, which I'm loving. Um, Good. Yeah. yeah. So tell, tell me, how did Flying Free help you How did Flying Free come along beside you and assist you in this whole process of filing for divorce and getting, and by the way, I just want to give a caveat here. Flying Free is not just for people who are filing for divorce. We have a lot of people in Flying Free who are staying, but in this case, we, what, what my philosophy is, is that we support women in their own decisions for their own lives, whatever those decisions are. So with, uh, with Julie, we came along beside and hopefully supported her through her decisions. So can you just kind of give people an idea who have maybe heard of Flying Free, but they really don't know what it is? And Flying Free, I belong to several 
um, support groups, uh, women leaving abusive marriages. Um, some are secular, some are faith-based. I love them all. I love all of the women, thousands of women. But Flying Free was the first group I found through through my friend Carmen. And I, I, it was mind-blowing. Um, when I first joined Flying Free, you were on social media and you were on Facebook. And when I joined, I spent hours reading women's stories, crying, just being affirmed. I, I, I sat back in my chair and I would throw food to my son, put a video on for him so I could absorb, so I could absorb this. I needed these women in Flying Free. And I loved, I actually got a tattoo. Um, I, would re I read all of your articles, Natalie. I read every single one of them. And there's one of, one of your articles, the graphic is a birdcage with a bird flying out of oh, yeah. the bird. I got that tattooed on my forearm. And oh, that is so awesome. It, so flying free, um, you know, did, you know, I got my tattoo idea, but when people see the tattoo, it's on my forearm. When they see it, I just say the caged bird is free. Oh, <laughs> and that's, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what flying free did for me. You, you started me on my journey of, wait a minute, this, 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 was not you. You were abused. And I think that is the first time I used the word abuse because I knew covert narcissism and I was married to a covert narcissist, but I, I didn't use the word abuse in the beginning. I just said, you know, you know, well, I use the word codependent. I don't, I toss that. I'm not codependent. Um, yes. so that is what flying free did to me. You started me on my journey to where I um, was able to take a deep breath and go, wow, thank you, God. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and Julie mentioned flying higher. That is a different, I, I don't want anyone to get confused, but that, I don't think I've talked about that on this podcast. I may have, but flying higher is not available to the public right now. It's just a beta group. Julie got in cause she'd been in flying free for a year or longer. And I opened it up to those women and they're helping me to develop a program for women who are divorced. It's mainly for women who are divorced and or on the way out. And it's to help them. Um, flying free really helps to extricate ourselves from abuse, external abuse. But flying higher is more helping women to extricate themselves from internal abuse, the, the ways that we abuse ourselves and hold ourselves back from reaching our full potential. So that's what Flying Higher is. I'm really excited. I am absolutely loving that group. I'm, I'm learning so much and then passing it on to these women. And so um, I'm in a certification process with the Life Coach School and getting so many good tools and information. And then I'm just basically feeding it I feel like I'm the mother bird going out and finding all these really big juicy worms. And then I come back and I'm feeding it to everyone in our nest and we're all just kind of eating together and enjoying ourselves. So <laughs> anyway, um, not that I'm the mother of these women, these women are all badass. So I don't want you guys to think that these are baby birds in the nest. We are all, that was a bad analogy. How could I, what's a better analogy? No, no, no. That was good. Natalie. Oh. <laughs> We took it in context. We're, we're all, yeah. So anyway, we're all feasting together at the table. Yes. So anyhow, I, that's it for today's podcast episode. Um, and thank you again, Julie, for coming on here and being willing to share your story and make thank yourself you, vulnerable. It was a, an incredible story. 
I know that I could relate to so much of it and I know a lot of other women are going to be able to relate to. So um, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you did have done and are doing in Julie's life and in the lives of everyone who's listening. And until next time, fly free.